Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. Christopher Cox is the Dean of the Library at Clemson University here in South Carolina. In this interview, he and I talk about serving an academic community before and during COVID. In his four years at Clemson, Chris has been busy, including changing up the physical structure of the library. He's created more space for study and more areas for collaboration, all the time working to support the university's increased research ambitions. Let's listen now. So thank you, sir. Uh, this is, I, I no doubt, every time we meet, I think it's a historic occasion for two rivals to come together and discuss things, and uh, we won't let people know of our underhanded secret plan to create armistice between the two, the two South Carolina giants. <laughs> how, how are you, sir? Are you doing well in, in these times? Yeah, things are great. I mean, it's bizarre. It's crazy times. I mean, each day... Things change, expectations change, the environment changes, but we're doing our best to sort of, you know, using the terms that everyone uses today to pivot, to be innovative, to try to figure out how we're going to address the needs of the people we serve in challenging times. So can can we just start off with a a quick sketch of um, what do the the libraries at Clemson University look like? Uh, As of right now, we are still closed and offering online services. So we closed in March. I mean, physical building closed. The rest of the, we st- and what we did was most of our services already had an online complement. So just like a lot of libraries, we were pretty successful in being able to move online. There were only two challenges that we faced when, when we did that. One was the physical collection, and the other one was the need for study space printing, those types of services. So what we did was for physical materials at first, we did what a lot of libraries did was we didn't offer access to them. There was a sense that the virus could uh, uh, could be contracted by touching them or whatever else. Now I think with uh, all the realm studies and everything that's been done, we now have curbside uh, support. So students, can, students, faculty and staff can do a request, pick up an item from us during the week. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, demand for that as it turns out. And we're also circulating technology as well. Um, with online, the big changes we made was we expanded our chat service, and now we actually are offering Zoom or WebEx uh, consultations. So the same thing we're doing here, we can do with uh, with a student or faculty member, staff member, if they have a research question. Um, and the rest of the stuff, we 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 worked our we did our best to um, enhance the lines of communication we had with faculty to support them in their courses. If they had something that was physical that they needed to offer, can we figure, can we figure out a way to make it digital? How do we make more of a, um, how do we have more of a presence in the course if it's online? When before we were a destination and now we're part of the family and we're trying to figure out how to do that in a more effective way. Well, and that, that's because that's a switch. Now, you've been at Clemson for about four years now, right? I think we, we end up in the state just about the same time. Actually, a little less. So I'm in my third year. So maybe a year, okay. year after you. I followed you. Okay. <laughs> uh, but And I remember our visits, and I know one of the things that you were doing, particularly with the, the main library, is you were working on making it a much better destination. It might be a, a words, right? You, there was mm-hmm. transformation of space. There was transformation of of some services and really looking to how you support a community in that physical location. Correct. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, sort of go with the sure. pre-pandemic route because I, I I find what you were doing absolutely fascinating. Awesome. So so what we were doing is, you know, we're in a building that was built in the 60s and there have been changes, but they've been minor. And so the way the building was built is the way a lot of older libraries were built is they were built for collections and not for people. And so we have collections and spaces where if we move collections, we might have some windows to look out of. We didn't have a lot of soft seating. We didn't emphasize collaborative study space. We had some spaces that were dedicated to that when I got here in a learning commons environment. We also, in that learning commons, we didn't necessarily, we had relationships, but we weren't inviting those uh, support services in, and we didn't have concrete relationships with them. We didn't, you know, we didn't say, we couldn't connect a student directly to the writing center for an appointment. It would be like, oh, well, let me look that person up. Now it's, we actually have a virtual learning commons that we've set up, which has links to these areas, and we're trying to figure out ways that students can come in the building and make an appointment or do an appointment from our website so we can start to connect and maybe there's, and then figure out ways of doing the opposite through them, where if you go to the Writing Center website, can you make an appointment with a librarian digitally or virtually, just like you could when you were in physical. So um, so the main, uh, some of the main things we've been doing, we've been moving some of our collections to an offsite shelving facility. Most of the collections we're looking at are things like journals, which are um, useful, but a lot of the, particularly in the sciences, a lot of the research they're doing is um, now been, uh, is more current information they're looking for. A lot of it's digital, a lot of it's stuff we subscribe to. So if they want the older historical things, a lot of the time it's, they're going to a destination, they have that research question in mind, they're not just browsing. So what we've done is we have a space uh, about a town over where we've moved a lot of those journals. So now what we do is we scan them on demand, we can bring the journals back, but we're able to open up, we were able to open up a floor and a half to offer additional seats. Because the other issue that we had in the library was that the library was built, when it was built, Clemson was half the size it is now, it was around 10,000 students, now we're up to like 23,000. So we don't have enough study seats and we don't have enough um, opportunities for students to come in and engage with librarians and engage with other with their fa with the faculty that teach your classes and to um, do research and do those kinds of things. Um, and so we're trying to enhance the people space and figure out ways of offering the collection space, but offering it in a more deliberate way. So if there's things that aren't that people aren't um, going to need to put their hands on immediately, is there a way to store that somewhere else or condense its footprint? And if there are things that they need, let's make sure they're up front, that people walk right by them. You know, you, I, I don't like, I I don't know if people, people, I know a lot of people don't like the idea of including, think of the library as sort of a, you know, as a department store or whatever else. But I think we always have to think about that. We have to think, we want to draw them in. You know, if they're looking for, you know, no one buys milk as an instinct item, they know where to go. So you want to, you want to bring them in to see the librarians, but as they go, you want to introduce some other services we offer and to have them walk by other things that they might not have realized we had and say, wait a minute, you guys check out technology. Wait a minute, you guys have a connection with the writing center. I have a paper. I didn't know you guys did that. So that's kind of what we're trying to aim at, not only in our entryway, but in the other floors that we are part of. And the pandemic, of course, has turned all that on its head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so once again, a little pre-pandemic side, when when you think uh, about, because you're, you know, when, when I think about an academic community, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts about it, but you've got the the student body, I mean, and the student body can certainly be broken down into undergraduates and graduate students. You can even further break it down by brand new students coming on campus versus those that are graduating. You've got the faculty 
and faculty doing different tasks where they need library support, research being a clear and present one, but also in terms of the service and research they may be doing and in terms of teaching where you are supporting the teaching endeavor through everything from library tours and information literacy sessions to reserves and collections. And then you've got the staff uh, and you've got ad administration because we know they're all weird and not necessarily fit beautifully in any of those other categories. But how do we, I mean, is that, is that, uh, what am I missing when, when you picture your academic community? I think you're right on the, you're right on the, um, right on the nose with that. I think the challenge we've had at Clemson is we have so much interest among undergraduates to use the library, which is different than a lot of the places I've been. It's not that we haven't had demand, but I mean, we have overwhelming demand. I mean, we have finals, we have people hanging, hanging, you know, hanging from the rafters. So that we've been primarily an undergraduate serving library. And what we realized, we did some surveys when we were starting to develop a master plan to renovate the building, which we hope might happen in, you know, four to six years. And there we heard very clearly that we didn't have identified spaces for graduate students or faculty. They need different types of study spaces. They need different types of services. In some cases, we had dabbled in those. But, and part of the issue that we have, as other libraries do, is that you know, we might not have the staff, the expertise, or the resources to be able to provide those. So we've been trying to figure out ways of planning to ramp those up. Can we do more things with research data management? Can we do more things with um, uh, copyright or um, author rights or scholarly communication issues or things like that, which would be a more interest to graduate students or faculty? Uh, Clemson's also, unlike University of South Carolina, is a relatively young research institution. We've only been a research, we've only been an R1 for six years. And so what that means is faculty are being asked to do more grants, they're being asked to do more research, which impacts the community, and they don't always have the resources they need. They might not have a place to do that research. They may not know um, what grants are available. So there's a lot of different places that we can help with that. Um, and, the, and the last two that you mentioned, one, and it's always been a challenge every place I've worked to do this, but we've been trying to do all we can to reach out to classified staff to say, you know what, we have a subscription to the New York Times and the Chronicle. You don't need to buy those things. We have popular fiction and we have DVDs and we have, you know, children's books for your kids to keep them occupied. So come in and visit us or use our services online or tell us other things you might need. And for administration, I think the most successful thing that's happened, and it wasn't pre-pandemic, it was, it, it was, as a result of the pandemic is um, what we ended up doing was we had a, uh, we offered, uh, I offered, but we offered our services to administrators to say, we're happy to comb the news to tell you about what other institutions are doing in different areas they might be, that might be of interest, like how do you handle capacity management? How do you handle quarantine? How do you handle um, uh, dining halls or housing or whatever else? So we, you know, we set up alerts, we looked at different um, uh, websites and different databases that we had, we sent them articles every day. And I think that what we heard was they never, they never thought of us as that kind of resource and they really valued that type of thing. So the more I can get them to think of us as, we are your research um, destination as well, that we can provide resources to you to do your job better if you if you need us, just ask. So That's fabulous. So. This is another thing I want to drill down on because oftentimes we use phrases like we hear from, we heard from, we yep. heard from a faculty. Mm -hmm. How do you, I mean, that only happens if you're listening. Um, right. And a lot of, you know, serving, serving the community means that you're, you're listening to them. And if I'm 
once again, just trying to project back, make sure I'm not screwing things up. We were listening really strongly to a need for physical facilities and space from an undergraduate population. We were it was responsive for that. And so how did we hear that? And then the second one is now we were, then we were hearing that these other, right, so how do you listen to the community? How do you, I mean, the, the, the good old fashioned way is how do you determine user needs in these different communities? Gotcha. I think, I think, I kind of think of it as two avenues. There's the putting yourself out there avenue. So as Dean, I try to be, I try to invite myself and be invited to any event or any uh, meeting of a group that I can. And I try to encourage all my librarians and staff to be engaged in those venues so that they can hear things as well. And then that they bring those in for that information back to the library to let them know we've heard X, we have a, con we have a concern from Y. So for example, the reason when I got here, I heard about the seat problem almost immediately from uh, student government. And so I went to student government, met with them and said, okay, so here's my background. Here's what I understand is going on. Tell me what concerns you have. Tell me what things we do well, what things we could improve and start that dialogue. And so it's been great so that I actually meet with the president of CUSG, the Clemson Student Government Organization for undergrads um, at least twice a year. Um, I do a presentation every year for them and for the graduate student government. I every year do a presentation for the chairs and for faculty senate and for staff senate. And so, and we also have representatives on all those different groups within the library, student assistants on CUSG, faculty or in faculty senate. So we have different ways that we're represented so that we have it, we're seen as being open to that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, feedback and that we then follow up. That's the other thing that's important is to follow up and say, we heard you and either we can't do anything or this is what we're doing. Um, the other thing I think is the assessment piece. So it's having regular assessments that you do when we um, hired a, a new assessment librarian that was a dedicated position, first time we've had that at Clemson, to go out and to start uh, providing surveys, whether they be just satisfaction surveys after an event, whether they be surveys of people about their satisfaction with the building, whether they be anthropological studies of use of the building, whatever they happen to be, so that we get additional data, because we also know there's there, there's often a difference between what people say they want and what they actually do when they're in a space or what they actually do use. So we want to be able to look at those statistics as and 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 like marry them to the request to figure out exactly what that need is and then do our best to meet it. Uh, a good example of what we're doing now along those lines is that um, um, faculty, a group of faculty emailed me and said, hey, we need more digital resources. You've mentioned that we can't do physical reserves this year. We understand that, but we, other libraries have more streaming media than you do. You need to do something. And it was great that they felt willing to do that. It wasn't like a confrontational thing. It was like, hey, we have a need. We're, we're opening opening to you. So I got a group of folks together. We talked about it. We're going to be meeting with them next week to kind of present uh, sort of what we learned, maybe a package of things we think might solve the problem for them, but to get their feedback again. And then we introduce that out. We'd see where it goes. Um, but uh, But that kind of process, I think that kind of listening and adjusting and trying some new things and then assessing and evaluating is sort of a cycle you want to go through with this. And it sounds like the, you know, that one is listening and responding, but I, I'm also now thinking about what you're talking about when you were supporting decision, you know, frontline decision makers and the administration around pandemic issues around reopening, which was a, there's a little push as well. I mean, ideas yep. and pushing forward. And then the evaluation has to be there to find out whether it's working, but there, how do you build that sort of cycle of, 
they may need this and not even know. Um, the way I have tended to approach it in places that I've led and the way I've encouraged my faculty and staff to think about it is we're always in sort of library, we're, we're always in beta, right? So try things, do it with little cost and and not a lot of effort, but see what happens. So for example, um, if you were to ask students, uh, and we did, some students said when it came to re, uh, refurnishing our sixth floor, they said, we need more study carols. And my immediate reaction was, no, you don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but they didn't know what the options were, right? So we did offer them some study carols. We offered some new types of some new carols that look a lot different than what an older carol would look like. And they've been very popular. We also offered them soft seating. We offered them some different tables with wheels. We offered them. So we try to do is offer a lot of different types of furniture in the space and see what they like the best. And then we know now we can buy more of that in different locations. So you kind of experiment in that way. I think it's the same thing with, you know, somebody will come to me and say, hey, you know, um, there's been um, a lot of interest in um, from anatomy students, and there's this. We have this. There's this um, uh, 3D database of anatomy that we're thinking that might be good for us to pilot for a while or try out as a as a as a trial. What do you guys think? So go ahead. They contact biology. Biology tries it out. They say yes or no. But the fact is that at times you're right. We may know of things or have or are working within our own profession and learn of trends at other institutions where we say, people are liking this, they're asking for this, we should try it here and see if our population is interested in that or not. But you also have to make sure, and I always say this because I, I, I don't want it to be, we're gonna duplicate everything that U of SC is doing. We wanna say, what does it mean for Clemson? So if you guys do something cool, we wanna say, we wanna try that here, but it may not be exactly the same implementation because we have a different audience, different population, and we just have to figure out how to make it work for them. And honestly, some things are great, amazing successes, and other things are miserable failures. And the main success, in my view, is don't spend too much money, don't put too much effort into it. Go into it knowing that it could be a failure, that you're not putting every, you're not spending all this time getting it perfect to try it out, because you'll have time to do that afterwards if successful. So we'll return to our interview in just a moment. First. I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. Um, so you'd mentioned that with the pandemic and with the closing, that shifted a little bit of where your focus is. I mean, every university had to because most Clemson, I, I believe, is very much like USC, where you probably have some online education in some programs, but particularly the undergraduate education, there's being there. there it's still a physically. Mm -hmm. And so that when the pandemic shifted, a lot of the being there part of the library was out of reach. And so shifting to support the faculty, and I love how you put it, which was sort of shifting to sort of more of the direct business of the faculty and teaching became important. Right. Um, I'm curious because it, it's really, you, you and I know that when you talk about community-centered librarianship or you know, listening to, call them patrons, users, what, what words you wish, 
that sounds great and it makes you really happy and we have lots of fun stories. But there's some inherent conflict going between those two. Um, we were, one of the things that, that a discussion coming up among our students at the University of South Carolina is this pandemic has really, and Black Lives Matter and, and the, the sort of racial awakening has led to communities that once might have seen harmonious coming into conflict. So you know, how do you begin to, one, I'm not sure if you've seen that particular issue, but in general, how do you deal when these different parts of the community that you want to listen to and serve, there's odds. You know, Either they have different takes, they have different claims for resources, what have you. How do you navigate that? Um, it's not easy. I mean, actually, where we see it the most, uh, at least in academic libraries, in my experience, is students versus faculty. And I don't like the versus part, but in many ways, that's the case. So students will say, I want a cup of coffee. I want a comfortable place to study. Faculty will say, when when I was a student, coffee wasn't allowed, and I wanted a quiet place to study. I don't know what you're doing over there, right? Or the students will say, why isn't everything online? Why do you have these books anyway? No one uses them. And the faculty will say, every one of those books is is something that I've touched and held, and you don't. I don't want it ever to leave this building where the exact location it currently is in the shelf. And so you kind of have to walk these lines where you say, all right, so at what point can you, so, I mean, I don't know, there's a lot of meeting in the middle. I, I guess what I've been doing is saying, all right, so um, for the faculty who value physical books, all right, we're going to have, you know, no one's getting rid of the physical books, but how do we make sure they are more available and we work with students to help them understand that that's, a, that's just because in that format doesn't mean it may not be valuable to their research. It's just as easy to find. You just need to know the trick to do it. And they need to be more in the flow of what you're doing rather than be hiding behind something, right? So how do you work with faculty to say, if you believe that that books are the coin of the realm for your discipline, then we need to work together to help students discover books. And if not, then, you know, if they kind of don't play that role, then how do we make sure that they get the resources they need in whatever format they happen to be? And how can we work with you to make sure we have the resources that are going to help them do the assignments they need to do? So it's it's that kind of interesting thing. I think the 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 way the other way that I think will be successful at Clemson is because we've heard in these um, focus groups um, and charrettes that we did as part of this master plan that faculty and grad students have different needs, if we were to create spaces that are more dedicated to those needs that are apart from students, we can meet both needs. If they're like, we want quiet study and students are like, we want collaborative study, we got lots of floors to the building, we got lots of places that we could set it up, we could create something different for them that's more to their liking to what they do, that they want and what they feel they're, um, um, they're looking for. And so I think the more that we can kind of, you know, in some ways you can't be all things to all people, but you can do some, you can create different areas and different services that focus on what their, um, you know, the, the, the high value area that they care about the most is so that no one loses that high value area. So, so now let's, let's talk a little bit about having moved to the pandemic and what do you, what's your, Let's let's start at the closing if we can. Is in okay. when we physically closed facilities, and um, one of the things that that I'm remarkable, and I want to see if this was your your feeling as well, which is it happened very quickly. 
and it happened to a great deal chaotically at the whole. In other words, if you look at the country or if you look at the state or if you look at higher education, it was kind of like, oh, we're closing now. We'll figure this out. Don't come back from spring break or whatever it was. Right. Um, even though, because I've also talked to libraries who are like, we felt it was actually very orderly. It was just very quick. Um, I'm just wondering, so if we look at the, that timing, we look at the spring semester, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a spring semester, what did the physical closing of the library facility or campus look like? Um, I would agree with what you said before. I mean, so we had a little bit of warning. We had been talking about it in February. So we had already looked at, we had done a survey of uh, faculty and staff in the library to determine if they had the tech they needed to deliver things from home. We had started to do a review of our, we'd done a review of our services to determine what things we might not be able to offer if we were online and was there anything that we might need to adjust if we went online with it? Um, we had started to set up a training regimen on other types of collaborative software. I mean, I think the biggest challenge for, I think for everybody going home was the fact that a lot of us, you know, I had never used Teams. I, we didn't even have a, con we didn't even have a contract with Zoom until after we went online <laughs> at Clemson. So a lot of us didn't know these technologies. That was the challenge. That was the, the you know, the, the big learning curve at the beginning. I think most people were, you know, in, in a way that I guess I would never have imagined. They were very successful in working from home, staying focused, being able to deliver the services they did before. They understood those services and were comfortable with them. I think it was just, now I have a new way of offering, of providing that service or delivering it, and that's foreign to me. And mm -hmm. I think what you saw was we did what we could and we got better as we went. Um, uh, so. Um, but but the closing was, I mean, it was one of these things where, yeah, we just learned on Sunday, it's like, well, the governor's decided that we're all going to stay home now. And so on Monday, I emailed everybody and said, so we're staying home. Um, so uh, I, you know, and we, you know, so we made sure the website was up to date and we had kind of worked through and all the, all my leaders talked to their folks and uh, they came up with some strategies of kind of making it work. And it was, I agree, it was relatively smooth. I think the, I think if we had any bumps in the road, it was um, access to the physical stuff on occasion, particularly like reserve materials, because people were like, wait a minute, they're all locked up. I was going to teach this video. I only have four weeks. Now what do I do? And there weren't always solutions at that point, I think, because it was so, we had so little time. Um, uh, but I think that um, having the summer to work on this, I think we've improved greatly in terms of knowing those technologies and having more mature services even than we did before. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm i still shocked at how smoothly it went, to be totally frank. I, I mean, I, I guess I never would have expected it, but uh, it just goes to show that as libraries, we've done a lot of the work ahead of time. We really had already offered a lot of that as our website, as our front door. For example, Clemson was uh, had started a website redo and was going to release it in summer, and so we just released it as a beta early. and um, so, um, so I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty smooth and seamless. I think we just have to um, keep working on figuring out the delivery mechanisms. So, in the midst of this, we're now all home. Things are going, you know, we're all dealing with the new normal. We're all trying to figure out what that means. And then um, we had, unfortunate, you know, we had white cops shooting black people and we had Black Lives Matter and people were taken to the streets. Um, and there was definitely, I think, pressure on many institutions to to come out and make comment. 
uh, on that. Uh, did you feel that either in Clemson or within the library? Definitely, definitely. I mean, the the um, the sense was that um, we were talking as an administrative leadership team, the deans and the provost and the president, and we were working on one message from Clemson. It wasn't that all of us couldn't have our own messages out there afterwards. The idea was Clemson wanted to respond as an organization. So we did that. A lot of the rest of us then had our own sort of statements about racism. Um, we, uh, what, what I try to do at, um, at the libraries, because we had been talking about it for a while and it was a great way to spur more action is we had a diversity plan in place. We had been starting to work that plan. And what I said was that if we're gonna put out an anti-racism statement, I wanna follow it up within a couple of weeks with this is a list of actions we're going to undertake in the next year and the next three years from that plan that we send out to people and say, we're gonna and we're gonna put these on our website and we're gonna give you updates on them and we're gonna make sure that we make good or if we can't make good, we explain why we didn't do it. So I think that's that's the sort of thing that I think has been challenging, honestly, is that this is a long ingrained problem that the country deals with and there aren't any easy solutions. And so we kind of waffle between, we need to have action now and it's gonna take a while and then is that acceptable? You know, for example, Clemson has a committee that they put together, that's great, they're working, that's great. I've heard differing views. Some people are like, why aren't they, why haven't we heard from them already even though they just met? <laughs> um, or other people are like, thank God we have a group doing something. And so it's, I, I think we hear, a lot of those different voices knowing that this is a um, a long-standing problem which should have been solved centuries ago and now we're at the situation and at a kind of a a good turning point where i'm i think a lot of us are hopeful that things will actually change that this might be the moment when we don't talk about it but we actually act and so what i'm hearing is that statement that is, is you saw how essential it was to turn it into action um right so the right. inventory of things that hopefully we've been working on for a while so we haven't just realized that systemic racism exists um but now we want to make it transparent and we want to be kept accountable we want to think about new services that was important to put out there Correct. did you run into resistance not among my I, I didn't actually run into resistance at all i mean my uh my staff, we had been talking about diversity, inclusion, and equity issues since I got here. They already had a committee that was working on that plan. Uh, Clemson is devoted to these things. They've had some bumps in the road, but they're definitely uh, interested in making things better for the campus community. And so we have, um, we were working within a system which allowed us to uh, create a plan and to be able to get some support within the campus to be able to get some of those things done. I think the challenge for us is just like anything else, there's a lot of things on your plate. And I think the whether we think of it as a good thing or not, and I don't like thinking of what happened as a good thing, what I would say is it did prioritize that as something that we needed to move to the top. So for example, I uh, uh, this year um, we went through a strategic plan and we prioritized what were the five to seven things we do this year. and diversity, equity, inclusion issues, particularly anti-racism and those kind of things, were number one on the list. That th those are things that we are committed to working on and having something happen this year. Some of the things are gonna be really hard to have happen. I mean, we wanna diversify our staff. I don't know how we do that um, because it's recruitment's difficult. And there are a lot of, um, there may not be the right support in the organization yet. Um, we have We have some work to do. 
but I think we're finally committed to doing that work on a very um, set timetable rather than saying, we'll get to that. We know it's important, but I think now it's, we're going to make a difference now. I think one of the things that, that libraries, all organizations, uh, but sticking with libraries for a moment encountered was looking at um, general systemic issues that we didn't either think was directly related to us or didn't quite understand how directly related to us. And so things like race and representation and diversity, I think there's been a clear, as you say, understanding of the need to improve. There have been actions upon it and we need to, to tackle that. And we even have a history of doing that, always do much better. I think one of the things that, that I've seen in an academic setting, I'm curious if you ran into it as well, which was looking at things that we didn't necessarily expect, and that was things like equity of access to the internet, equity, you know, broadband connection, um, access to technologies. We, we sent our students home to learn virtually, making a lot of assumptions that didn't necessarily play out, that they could get online, that they could have enough bandwidth to do this. We had students, for example, when they went back, they're like, yeah, I've got access to the internet. It's on my phone and these Zoom sessions are great, but they blow my data caps after one lecture and I don't have that much money. Um, right. I'm wondering if you guys encountered that as well and whether the library played a role in that. You'd mentioned loaning out equipment. We definitely, I, I mean, um, we definitely noticed it. Uh, I was surprised. I mean, I, this shows kind of, I guess, how naive I was. Um, we had three employees that didn't have access to internet at home. And I'm just thinking this is it's like water or an essential utility. I, I didn't realize the digital divide was going to I expected there might be students who couldn't afford it or didn't have access. But I didn't expect some of my own staff to be in that boat. So uh, luckily, we worked with Campus IT and they provided hotspots. Uh, and we also had uh, they made a deal with I forget what the carrier was, but to be able to get uh, unlimited data for individuals that were in these situations so that they could just we just pay that for them on their phone bill each time so they could use their their phone as their hotspot or whatever they wanted to do. Um, I think the interesting thing was we found that even though the library was closed, our parking lot was full most days mm. with students and faculty working in their cars. That was mm. another way that this kind of uh, showed us this issue. And I, I just, it's just shocking to me. I, 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 I have, uh, this is one of the soapboxes I get on, at least on my social media accounts, where I'm like, we've got to figure out a way to solve the digital divide. It just doesn't make any sense that anybody shouldn't have some level of internet access. I don't care how small it is. They don't need to be able to do heavy duty gaming, but they need to be able to do this stuff. Um, the other thing we found was that um, uh, a lot of students got lost in translation. So there was a real effort by Clemson to reach out to students who had logged into their uh, Canvas courses for a certain period of time to find out why was that? Did they not know how to? Did they not have internet? Um, so we were able to, I think it was, I think it was 95% um, or more, it was, it was a high percentage of students that we were able to contact and connect and make sure that they completed the semester, but it was a lot of work. In fact, I would say we probably had more success in students completing that semester than any other semester in Clemson's history. <laughs> because we touched every student. We, we reached out to each one and said, you haven't logged into this class at this time. Can we help you? Right. And so another lesson learned of the pandemic is, well, how do we offer that level of service all the time? It, you know, in person as well as online. It may not seem like it's scalable, but we figured it out when we were at home. It seems like we should be able to do it in person. Um, but you're right. I think that that's I, I think those. I think another issue we ran into is uh, there's a lot of um, 
accessibility issues. You know, we're getting more demand for eBooks and for things from Heidi Trust and for <clears throat> streaming media. And not all those things are captioned and not all those things are accessible. So what do we do in those situations? Um, because those students normally could come to us and get a physical copy or get some other copy. And now it's not as easy for that to happen. So um, that's been another challenge along these lines we've worked through. So then just turning our, our attention briefly to, you know, so you've got a community. If I, as I understand it, you're starting out uh, virtually semester. The plan is to then bring students back on campus. How are you, what are you doing to prepare for that? To prepare for bringing the community back in, whether that's virtually or physically? Mm -hmm. So we weren't so worried about the virtual, um, the word virtual open, as it turned out, because we knew we had done that. And we also, we, we kind of um, made an assessment of our success over the summer and were able to make some adjustments. We, um, um, we purchased a new e-reserve platform. We've been purchasing some new collections online. We've been doing some, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else we've done. We're, we're, we're going to be uh, offering enhanced digital interlibrary loan access. So we had kind of figured out where the gaps were, and we're starting to um, sign agreements or add new programs or new services that would solve that. For the in-person, that's been a real challenge. Um, we have... What we benefited from, I think, the most is that um, we're a member of a lot of different library communities. We're a member of a community called ACERL, which is other research libraries in the Southeast, where I or others can always reach out and say, what are you doing about X? What are you doing about Y? The other thing we did was we were part of a cohort with uh, Brightspot. Um, they're a consulting firm that offers support to higher education institutions as well as libraries. And we were in a cohort with the University of Rochester and NC State, where we talked about and we developed our reopening plans. And so there are a lot of things as a result of those conversations that we changed. Um, I think the scariest part about the way the library is working is our biggest challenge is managing capacity. You know, we went from, we're going from 2,200 seats, which was not enough in the first place, to 600. You know, our hours are reduced. They're not reduced significantly, but we're not 24-5 because we need time for cleaning and we need, <clears throat> we need to um, give the staff a break because we're putting more staff on at the times when students are there. Um, because there's a lot more needs that they have, and there are also a lot more rules and procedures that we need to we need to educate them about. Um, so as a result, the way it's working is a lot of the checkout things that we used to do are going toward curbside or going outside. You need a cup of coffee, you can get it out here. Um, you need a you need to pick up a book, you can do it here. You need technology, you can do it here. So whether it's in the entrance of the library, whether it's outside, those kinds of transactional things are being moved to the side. And then there's kind of a checkpoint which says, all right, do you want to, if you need to go in the building, you're probably here for the, we, these are the reasons you would be here. So one might be, I want to study. So if you want to study or you maybe you want to use people, a piece of equipment that we have on the floor or whatever else, you reserve a seat. And so you get a two hour reserve and you can do two hours a day at this point, two hour, two hours every day, all week if you want. We may expand it, but that way we think we can rotate more students through. We also have classrooms or building classes. Uh, we have rooms in the building which are now being used as classrooms uh, because of capacity issues again. So that you know, large lecture halls can now hold like 20 people. So there's a lot of classes where they need different rooms. So so we're now having students that are coming in for class. They just need to show proof. And then the other thing is faculty and staff. So what we're doing now is we actually are putting in technology which will allow students to scan their ID and it'll tell us 
do they have one of these appointments? And if they do, it flashes green and you walk through the door. Now we're about two thirds there. The seating hasn't working quite that way yet. Maybe it'll work that way by the time we reopen, we don't know. But um, but it's totally the opposite. Before it was like, we're gonna have every event that we can to bring you in the library. We want you to feel this is your place and a comfortable place to study and hang out and be here all day and have a cup of coffee. And I want those days to come back. But right now we're in a situation where it says, the longer you stay in the library with other people, the more risk you could have to yourself and others, including my own folks, my own employees. So we have to figure out ways and in order to achieve equity, as you suggested, we don't want everybody just to be like, oh no, well, that one guy got in the seat, now that seat's taken the rest of the week, I guess I'll never get a chance to stay in the library. We want that to move through so that everybody gets a chance. People won't be able to book seats more than a couple of days ahead of time, so you can't book it for the semester. Mm. And so we hope what'll happen is, um, we may see the same gate counts. We may see the same number of people coming through, but they're not coming through at the same time for the same amount of time. And so if I were to ask for like, that's my 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 wish for the semester, it would be that we get this to be so smooth that students are achieving what they need to do without their feeling that there's something that they're being, that's being taken away from them. Knowing that ultimately we're gonna go back to that preferred normal, which is that students can come in and spend time with us in an informal way and we're introducing new things and they're doing research and they're being introduced to research techniques and having coffee with faculty and everything else, so. Well, Dean Christopher Cox of the Evil Clemson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for taking the time today, and I wish you great luck in uh, the weeks ahead. Um, and I, uh, we're going to continue to talk and collaborate. But uh, always interesting to hear what you're up to. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate the time.